Well, hello and welcome to the Learning from Legends show with me, Peter Switzer. As Monday was the International Women's Day, I wanted to get and to understand the journey of a female CEO of a listed company here in Australia. And so we will hear from the CEO of Mortgage Choice, Susan Mitchell. And I think you'll find there's a lot to learn from a lady like Susan who actually has actually cracked um, a very good job in a very good company. And she'll also give us a few insights on how to uh, borrow better than maybe you have in the past. So without any further ado, let's go and meet the CEO of Mortgage Choice, Susan Mitchell. Great to see you, Susan. Great to see you. And even though this Happy is to a, be here. Even this is a podcast, we are actually doing this on Zoom, and that's why I say it's great to see you. <laughs> All right, let's set the scene. So I want to understand what Mortgage Choice's competitive advantage is, and then I want to try and understand what is Susan Mitchell's competitive advantage. Of course, you would probably say you haven't got one, but the fact that you are the CEO of a listed company, I reckon there'd be lots of human beings in the world, both men and women, that say, gee, I wouldn't mind being a CEO of a listed company. I wonder what that woman's got. So we're going to find that out if, if you're okay. prepared to tell us. I'll do what I can. Okay, fantastic. Let's talk, talk about mortgage choice first. What is the competitive advantage of mortgage choice? Well, it's important to remember that mortgage choice actually has two customers. The consumer that we are hoping to help find a home loan and then the mortgage broker that we are hoping will actually come and join us and take good care of those consumers. So when I think about the consumer, I would say our advantage is we have a paid the same model so that our brokers are not incentivized to place the customer other than the loan that's the best interest for that customer. So for 20 years, they have never ever had the incentive to try and place a customer where they own the most money because they get paid the same. Mm, okay. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is just recently, we've just introduced a brand new product that's new to market where they can verify and get you a loan approval in about 15 minutes. So. That's with all of the difficulties that our consumers are having today. It's taking so long to get a loan. We think this is going to be a great thing for mm. consumers. I guess under some circumstances, after 15 minutes, the answer might be, I'm sorry, you can't get an approval because you're so complicated. You're going That's to need correct. to do a more labor-intensive um, look at you to try and get – and we might be able to find some lender who will look after you. Most conventional ones might not, but there is a, possibly a solution for that sort of person as well. Absolutely. So we've got the solution for the person that needs speed mm. and is maybe simpler. Yeah. We also have a solution for someone who's incredibly complicated, maybe self-employed, maybe some different personal circumstances. So yes, absolutely. We've got the range to fit all consumers. So, yeah, I, I've noticed over the last decade, um, mortgage brokers are actually writing more business, more loans than banks themselves. That's, that's a true observation? 60% um, of the loan applications that go through um, are introduced by a broker. Yeah, okay. So what do customers tell you about the pluses of mortgage brokers compared to, say, dealing with a bank employee? Um, it usually goes down two routes. First of all, the customer really appreciates the education that they get from a broker, the expertise that that broker has, the choice of products, what we were just talking about a little bit earlier, where you might be fairly complicated and you need some choice. Mm. And just the advice of, I'm not quite sure what to do. Can you help me? 
Um, and more than that, it's actually a very complicated process to get a home loan and they help you with the actual process and the gathering of the pieces of paper and the documents. Mm. So you get choice, advice, and help with a complicated process. That's what they like the most. Yeah, I, I presume that, that no one's actually done this statistic, but, and of course, all industries have new people that join, but I would have thought the average life experience of a mortgage broker in actually dealing with loans and the whole lending scene would be much older or longer than the people working in the branches of a bank because there's higher turnover of staff and all that sort of stuff. A mortgage broker would have been a specialist for quite a long time, wouldn't they? I think that's a that's a really good observation on your part. First of all, bank branches, about 50% of the business that goes through a bank, a bank branch is actually to identify customers. So a lot of times you actually don't have people coming in with complicated situations. We also have a lot of anecdotal evidence where if it's too complicated, the branch will actually send the customer off to a mortgage broker. <laughs> okay. so, don't, don't tell Matt Common and all the other CEOs <laughs> out there. <laughs> but, and I also think that just the the, the opportunity for um, the customer to understand that the broker has 30 lenders to pick from mm. rather than just their own suite of products is going to make the customer feel like yeah. that they're finding the one that's right for them. Okay. Now, you, you talked about how you um, have eradicated the the conflict of interest issue and and this has been a criticism of mortgage brokers in the past that a minority, and is I think historically believed to be a small minority, could at times put clients into the loan where they got the biggest um, commission or fee or whatever. So A, is that still a problem in the industry? And B, um, how long have you had your solution to that problem where no matter what loan you put forward, you is, is it the same percentage? I guess a bigger loan would bring bigger bigger money for the broker. But it's the same yeah. rate. Yeah, same. It's the same rate. Okay, yeah. So, so um, there's a couple of things. First of all, I would say this problem is absolutely getting better throughout the industry because we've just introduced best interest duty from the 1st of January. Mm. So most brokers have always put their customers interest in front of their own, but now it's actually written into law. Yeah. So I yeah. think that that's important for people to understand. I think the second thing is, is when you're sitting talking to your mortgage broker, the, ask them, just say, why do you think that this loan is in my best interest? And hear what they come back and say to you, because I think that's really important. Now, as far as mortgage choice is concerned, our commission policy that we call paid the same, has been around for, golly, I would say 20 years at least. Okay. So it's been something that, uh, well, yeah, I know the industry very well, but I didn't know that. So obviously it's, it's a, to me, it's a, it's, a, it's a good competitive advantage because, you know, I know that I would, I would argue, and I could be wrong, that I would have thought Mortgage Choice was the first business to actually introduce, I think it was 13 lenders on a thing called a laptop in the early 1990s. I think Peter Higgins, the, the, the founder, actually... Yes, one of the founders yeah, with his yeah. brother Rod. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Peter's always kept Rod under a, under a bushel while he went, went out there and showed off about his greatness. But he's a good guy, Pete. And he actually did show me a laptop. And early 90s, laptops weren't 
weren't common. And he actually showed me 13 lenders were on the the um, platform in those days. Um, and you're saying that there's 30 nowadays? Yes, mm. at least 30. Some panels are even bigger. And, and, so. and, and so if you, if you tried to um, put in an, into a nutshell what the modern-day mortgage broker brings to the table when someone is looking for a loan, what would you say it is, apart from the experience that I've already alluded to? Um, I, the thing I think it's important to remember is that the lending landscape actually changes very, very quickly. Mm. So when a bank makes a decision to change which customers they're going to help or how much they're going to charge, what they do is they send out a, an email to the different um, broker groups and they say, this is from tomorrow. <laughs> it's not like they give you much time. So yeah. everything is changing so quickly that a good broker is on top of all of those changes and understands for the customer sitting in front of them, oh, there's just been a change. I bet this is just the right thing for you. So you know they're up to date on what's going on. The second thing is it's just they've seen so many different complicated situations. If you that experience brings, I've seen, I may have seen your situation before. And I think in your particular situation, I have found just the solution to you because it isn't about just getting a home loan. It's about getting the home loan. That's the right one for you that meets some of your goals and what you're trying to do with your financial um, position in life. So I think it's really important. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking about, and we did sort of get together in the early part of the coronavirus. And I want you to tell me what you were worried about at the beginning of it. What happened to those worries over the the course of 2020? And what are those what are the new concerns you might have in this booming uh, housing and loan market we're seeing right now? I guess as CEO of a business, my first concern was oh, what does this mean for all these consumers out there? Everyone's going to become nervous and frightened and they're going to sit in their hands mm. and they're not going to do anything. Yep. Um, the second thing is we're going to have a lot of people lose their jobs and a lot of our customers are going to be in trouble. So that's the first thing that you thought about. Then once we got through those first couple of months and it became apparent that as difficult as it was for some people, it was a real opportunity for lots of other people. And then it was the second thing that we moved to is there's so much opportunity out there. How can we capture as much of that opportunity as possible? Both, because remember I have two customers, both for my brokers and both for those consumers. So how can we actually help our brokers capture all this opportunity? Yeah. And now today, it's, it's an ongoing theme of that second point, which is, how can I grow this business to capture more and more of that opportunity that is just swelling in the home loan market? The home loan market is very, very active right now. Have you, have you seen the market as... Um, buoyant as this? No. No, no I wouldn't have thought no. so. It's, it's, a, it's truly amazing. Mm. And it's, there's just so many things happening and they're all happening at one time. Yeah, and, so, at the, and at this point of time, you're not worried about APRA coming in and say, it's time to turn the taps off? Or do you think they'll probably give this at least a, a year before they think about doing that? I hope so. Mm. I hope so. Because I would hate for them 
to make it difficult for people to refinance and get a low lock in a lower rate mm. to be able to to feel financially protected. I would hate to see that happen. Mm. Are, are there any practices out there you prefer not to see happen in the industry right now? Um, like for example, cashbacks and all that sort of stuff. What, what do you think of things like cashbacks? I I. I I think the cashbacks are a wonderful opportunity if you truly understand what you're signing up for. Because a lot of people are going to those banks and getting some great low fixed rates in exchange for that cashback. And a low fixed rate is fantastic. It helps you budget and helps you plan. They're also actually quite complicated and can have lots of um, difficult points associated with them. So I would just hate for someone just to go straight to the bank, think they completely understood to get that cash back and that great low fixed rate, exactly what they were doing. And I would just want them to have their eyes open and be educated and understand what they were signing up for. Yeah, and, and they really do need to have a look at that comparison rate and think about, well, what do I end up on when this is all over as well? It's very true because comparison rates are very complicated. Mm. They are not a comparison rate for your loan. Mm. They are like a theoretical loan, $150,000 loan over 25 years, but may not have any comparison to the actual loan that you're taking out. So it's a little bit of comparing apples with oranges. So you really need someone to explain to you why it might look like there's a big difference in the comparison rate and the initial fixed rate. But in your particular situation, we can structure something so that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's really important to ask that question because, you know, for example, someone could even just fix for a year at, at, a, at a low rate, like 1.99, and find that after a year they go into the variable rate at maybe 3% or something like that, and that, that could be a bit of a shock to their system. So working at how long they should fix for could be a critically important issue that they could make, they would probably make a better decision when they understand what the, the reversion rate is, if you like. I think that's part of it. I think the other thing to understand is that in this low interest rate environment, you might want to take advantage of um, having some extra funds and wanting to pay your loan down more quickly yeah. for the future. And you need to understand that you may be penalized for that on a fixed rate. So how much do I fix? How much do I leave it variable? How much do you think I'm going to save? And then, of course, every single bank is going to treat those prepayments differently and every single bank is going to have a different rate that it reverts to after the fixed interest rate period. They're not the same. So how do you navigate all that information and pick the one that's right for you? Okay. I'm going to finish off with my my question five when I ask you about what are the big lessons you would um, share with anyone who's going for a loan for the first time or maybe, maybe taking out loans before and didn't do them very well. But let's, let's have a look at you for a moment. Um, how did you become the CEO of a listed company? Well, I was initially the CFO for many years. So you're a number cruncher, are you? Uh, I, you know, yes, but I can do lots of other things. <laughs> okay. Don't assume that just because you you came up through the numbers that you don't have a broader skill set. Well, you can you, you can ride a horse and yeah, jump I, over actually, I can ride a horse. Yes. Yeah, okay. I can ride <laughs> Um, but no, um, I originally was the CFO and then there was a leadership transition and I was offered the opportunity to take that role yeah. and I grabbed it and was very excited to have the opportunity okay. and I've really enjoyed working at Mortgage Choice and being the CEO. Okay, well, I'm going to ask the second part of that question. How did you become CFO of a listed company? What was your background? Who were you? What did you do? 
What did, I started how do you as impress a, people? I started as a um, I started as an accountant with a big four firm. Of course, it wasn't there was more than that four firms then, but yeah. we don't have to go into that part. So I started as an accountant. And where did you study? What did I study? I studied. No, where did you study? I studied um, at Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I yeah. studied music. And then I went and got an MBA at the University of Texas and moved on from my MBA to get a become a qualified accountant. All right. Okay. So from music to accountant. So you're you're a musical accountant. There are too many of them. Yes, I am. Yeah. Yes, I am. And do, and do you play an instrument as well? No, I, I I used to sing and I don't sing that much anymore. And I'm almost scared to tell you that because people always then want you to sing and it's did bad. You, did you sing in bar, in smoky bars in New Orleans? No, I didn't sing Texas? in smoky bars. I, I I sang in recital halls, and I sang art music and light opera. Okay. Well, the, the the woman that I said you look like from This Is This Is Us, she actually was a singer as well. Oh, um, unbelievable comparisons. All right, <laughs> let's, let's go on. Okay, so you 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 did your MBA, became an accountant, and you worked for one of the big four firms. Yes, and I was in um, I was interested in banking, yeah. and I think the most interesting part about my career was I actually moved around a bit. I kept the same job, but with the job I moved around. Yep. And so I got to work in Dallas, Texas and do some oil and gas. I got to work in New York City with some of the biggest banks in the world. And I got to work in London for a very, very long time. Mm. So I, I got a real variety and lot, met, met lots of different kinds of people. And I, I believe that that is a very strong and powerful force because you need to learn and you need to keep learning and you meet all those different kinds of people. And it just broadens your experience. Did you move from city to city because you just wanted to travel and work at the same time? Or did you actually have a bit of a plan? Like, this is a good job in Dallas, but I can get a better one in New York. And it's a good job in New York, but it's a better one in London. And each time you're actually stepping up the ladder? Actually, it's a combination of the two. A couple of the moves were... I really love doing banking, but there are bigger banks in New York. So I'm going to ask my firm if I could move to New York. So that was very much on purpose. When I moved to London, it was very much on purpose along the same lines. Um, a couple of my other moves were related to um, moves that my partner was asked to make. Yeah. So half of my moves, I would say, were my own instigation. The other half were um, moving with family. Yeah. Okay. So how did you end up in Australia? I married an Australian. <laughs> Okay. That's how most Americans he, end up in Australia. You prevailed I mean, upon you, eh? You prevailed upon. You know, oh, no. He, um, he very, very much wanted to move back to Australia, and we had children, and he wanted his children to experience living in Australia. So mm. we moved here when they were like about 10. Yeah. And they, we've been very happy here. Yep. So did you, who did you work for first in Australia? I worked for ABN Bank. Okay. I um, had worked for some large banks in London and they liked that experience that I had. And I went, I got off the plane and um, settled down for a couple of months. And then I went to work as a temp for ABM Bank and sorted out a problem they were having in their equity accounting department. Yeah. And so it was ABN a part of ABN AMRA? It was ABN, sorry, yes, ABN AMRA. This was when it was still part of ABN AMRA. Yeah, okay. So um, did you find it hard to adjust to Australian business life after being in the Big Apple? Um, or was it easier to actually make a splash here because we're a smaller pond? 
I think it was um I think it was easier to work in Australia Australia just because I had been some other places before so I had moved in the past so that wasn't a brand new experience and also I had worked in England for I worked in England for seven years so it was some of those cultural things were similar and so that made it a little bit easier Mm. did you know much about the Australian banking system before you came here and if you you, okay so we were you surprised when you saw the magnitude of the big four banks because they are. They're, so like at one stage, they were all in the top 50, and during the GFC, all four were in the top 10 banks of the world. It's, it's, it's amazing because it, it really is a true oligopoly, mm. and it's fascinating to see that. But on the other hand, it's, it, it's interesting to me because they were so diversified, and now they're all working towards becoming great big savings and loans. Mm. So I'm not quite sure you know, how all those things are going to work. So I am watching with interest how they are actually progressing. Mm. And also the magnitude of the branch system. Uh, Is there anything in America like it? Chase Manhattan seems to be everywhere, but I I don't don't know. Is there anything like that in America? There's there's something like that there, but it's interesting. Um, That's relatively new. Mm. It used to be that some of the different states only allowed you to have branch networks actually in that particular state and couldn't go across the whole country. That's all changed now and you can have branches all across the country. But I think historically, or not historically, across the world, I think the trend though is towards a reducing number of branches in most countries. Mm. Did did you um, actually aspire to be a CFO of a listed company? Given your background, it seems to me you, you might have. I did. I would have. I was very interested. Well, the reason I took this job, I was so excited with the offer of this job when I got it to be the CFO, mm. is I had not had the opportunity to be the CFO at a, a listed company. Now, I had worked in listed companies in the past, but I had never had the opportunity to actually be the CFO. And it's one of those chicken and the egg type things. No one wants to give you public company experience if you haven't already. No one wants to hire you for a public company mm. if you don't already have public company experience. Mm. So how do you ever get it? Yeah. So Mortgage Choice is a wonder, was a wonderful opportunity for me and it was a small enough company that they were willing to, to have a go at it. Mm. So that's been great. So um, I've never done, done the head count on this, but how many, how many female CEOs of listed companies are there? There aren't no. many, are there? I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. No. I, I think a well, lot. You, don't you guys hang out and say, "Hey, we're such a we're such a small group. Why don't we just hang out together occasionally?" Yeah, a club. Yeah. Um, I think the um, reality is a lot of people count those things on like the ASX 100, 200, and 300. I'm not sure they do it for the whole, the whole um, listed company environment. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I guess the smaller the companies become, the more we would be surprised to see that there probably are a lot of um, up-and-coming companies in particular. Um, I wouldn't say a lot, mm. but there may be more than you're thinking. Okay. I don't like this question, but people do ask women like you this question. How did you break the glass ceiling? Oh. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that question no. either because I think there's always another ceiling. Mm. Um, it's, it, it implies you're done and that you don't keep learning and you don't, progr- you don't keep progressing and becoming better at what you do. So it, it's, it's 
for me, that phrase is like you break it and you're there. Mm. And, and I, I, I really believe that you can keep becoming a better leader. Mm. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to, um, you know, say Push that, that one. That's just okay. No, I, I'm going to link it this one. Okay. I, I'm not going to say that the fraternity of directors in Australia, which are primarily blokes, um, uh, have necessarily improved at a, a particular faster rate. But do you think you at least have been a beneficiary of at least a move for you know, the, the public to say, hey, it's about time we have more women running companies in this country? Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good question, Peter. I, try for, um, I really do try for good questions, you know. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I would say at this point in my career, um, there – there is a real, there is a push for people to consider um, diversity as one of the things that you would look at in choosing a person. I would like to think that you choose the best person for the job, but that you ensure that the group of people that you're you're choosing from has, is diverse. I think when I was younger and starting out, no one, no one was trying in any way, shape, or form to get more women into anything. Yeah. So. I would say getting through that period and still being here to be able to take advantage of perhaps people really making the effort to have more diversity across a leadership team. Um, you still had to be here to get that opportunity. And a lot of people um, would have fallen out along the way. Yeah. So is it fair to say that there were stages in your life where you thought, if I wasn't a woman, I may well have progressed quicker than I have. Um, and if that's the case, what are the lessons that you've learned that you'd like to share with maybe other women who are still finding that there are obstacles in the way, unfair obstacles? I would say definitely that there were time periods in my life that it would have been easier to be uh, a guy. Mm. Um I would say the networking opportunities were more limited for the women. And it was so important to have a network of colleagues. Mm. And I think the networking for women was more limited because the events were always male oriented or you weren't invited, mm. you weren't included. I think it's, or you had more obligations at home with yeah. small children yeah. and you couldn't stay late and do that networking opportunity, but the male could. Mm. So I, I think that's really where I saw it most. And then that starts to affect you the longer you're in an organization and when a role comes up and maybe you don't have the same relationship with the person making the decision that somebody else does. It doesn't mean that person's not qualified. They may be eminently qualified for the role, but you're not in the consideration set. Yeah. you got to get in the consideration set before you can be chosen. So, yes, I do think there's sometimes it's difficult. Do I think it's better now? Yes, I think it's wonderful that people make more of an effort um, to include a more diverse range. And I want to be careful that we don't just talk about women because there's lots of... Um, Other groups have been discriminated against. Really. Yeah, uh, there's lots of different groups. And so I don't want it just to be about women. Oh. Um but, but I, I just figure you know more about women than you do other groups. I do. You're right. I do. I do. <laughs> and I would say it has been it has been more difficult in the past than I believe it is today. Mm. I think people are much more aware of the problem and talking about the problem, and that is absolutely the first and second step to getting the problem okay. sorted. So, what has been 
the Susan Mitchell secret of success to at least end up where you are today? I'm not sure I'm quite successful yet. I think I can still become better at what no, I do. So I'm going to stop you right there on yeah. that one. But um, I think the most important thing is that there's two, and it's funny because one of the questions you talked to me about was, or asked me to think about was uh, for certain books. Mm. And one of the titles of one of the books I think is, is very astute. What got you here will not get you there. Mm. And as a CFO, you progress through an organization based on your expertise, um, based on your risk assessment, based on how commercially you support the rest of the business. What sorts of ideas and creative ideas can you give the rest of the business to help them come up with some ideas? And then how can you support them with expertise? Lots of different things that you do of CFO. But the most important thing about moving into a CEO role is you've got to take you can it's impossible to do it by yourself. You have to have people working with you to do it. Mm. It's the only way that you can achieve anything is to have people work with you. So, and so, so, so selecting those people and being able to identify those people. I, th I think selecting them, identifying them, being interested in developing them and helping them to be the best leaders that they can be. Sometimes those um, skill sets don't all aren't always pushed at an earlier enough stage and you cannot go all the way to the top level without that people selection and people management skill set and depending on how you come up through an organization you may not have had the opportunity to develop that skill set mm, yeah okay so that was my last question well my second last question question five became my last question i'll get back to that in a moment but the other question was who have been the greatest influences in your relative success story? I had a success story, but you've, <laughs> you've told me that it wasn't you know, completely successful. Yet. We're not done yet. Yeah, you're not done yet. Yeah, okay. So, so who are the greatest influences and why? Um, I would think it's funny. I would say I've had um, – it's good bosses and bad bosses mm. in the past. So the good bosses, you think, I really like the way, he, you know, he did that. You know, mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Mm. And then the bad bosses, and you go – oh, I am never, ever treating people like that. That was horrible. Yeah. And then I would say the last one was, and this is just one of these things that happens to you as you get more and more experienced. You start to see people make bad choices mm. and you, you see the ramifications of those bad choices. And if you're fortunate, you're able to see it and you're able to learn from it and not repeat the mistake that they made. But I, I think just reflecting on some of the bad decisions that you see colleagues make along the way and what happened to them and taking the opportunity of learning from that and saying, you know what, this is a long game. You know, sometimes you cannot get so wrapped up in the little things that are happening around you. You've got to make the right long-term decision for you and for the company that you're working for. Okay. And this is my second, second last question. This comes from listening to you. So is it fair to say that you kept somewhere in your, your mind, not necessarily the front of your mind every day, but did you have the goal, the goal of being a, a CEO of a listed company it's somewhere in that head of yours? And so when you saw stuff like that, you said, this is going to be put into my toolkit to get me ready for the day when I... I'm able to do 
what I want to do? I think I must say yes to most of that question. I don't know that my goal was always CEO of a listed company. Mm. I think being in charge of a company, being in charge of more people, what little things can I pick up along the way to do what I do yeah. better or help create or make something better? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen that for some particularly successful women that I know very well. Final question to you. Um, in your years as a CEO of Maurice Choice, what have been the big lessons you've learned that you can share with anyone who's taking out a loan to buy a property? Oh, um, I'll be honest with you. It, the, a lot of the examples that you see of loans when someone is trying to tell you about different kinds of loans, they make the examples really, really simple. Mm. And you're doing people a disservice because most people are really complicated. Yeah. And I just think it underestimates the difficulty of people actually getting a loan and understanding what is best for them in their particular situation because everyone is so special. Yeah. And I, I think that's really the main thing is that people just make it look simple and it's not. And I would just say, that's why I'm now, of course, I'm going to say this because I'm CEO of a mortgage broker, but it is much more complicated than you think. And it's changing faster than you think. And you only do it once or twice in your life. You need to get an expert to help you. Yeah. Exactly right. And look, I've always thought that in a perfect world, um, a mortgage broker would have a lot of the skills of a financial advisor, but I've seen it tried and it's a very difficult thing to do, but the really great quality mortgage brokers can do a lot along that lines. But when you put together the complications of life and the complications of goals and objectives and all those sorts of things, it's a really hard job to be a good advisor to someone taking out a loan. It is, and but there's a lot of great brokers out there. Mm. And a, lot of, a lot of them I find um, are great because of their life experiences. They can put themselves in the shoes of the people who are coming to them looking for some guidance. The other thing is said that I, the other side of that coin is if you were to go and ask my brokers what they like the most about their job, mm. and it's helping that difficult customer. Mm. They honestly want to see that customer get something that's right for them and achieve their goal because people don't go into a mortgage broker to borrow money. They go into a mortgage broker to buy a home. Exactly right. Susan Mitchell, been great to talk to you. Thank you. And that was Susan Mitchell from Mortgage Choice. Before we go, just a time, just a little bit of a time for a, a quick advertisement. We always like to do that because we are a commercial organization. Just in case you didn't know, we do actually have a financial planning business called Switzer Advisory, and you can go to switzeradvisory.com.au. You know, we are, un are unusual in the sense that we charge flat dollar fees and we rebate commissions and all those sorts of things because that's just what we do around here. So if you need help in building your wealth, contact switzeradvisory.com.au. Time. Mm -hmm.